Today we have Sandhya Seshadri on the show. Are you interested in real estate? Sandhya started as an engineer and also got her MBA. She left her corporate job running an $80 million plus business unit to become a full-time investor. She started with stocks and then allocated time and resources to multifamily real estate investing. She's invested in over 3,400 units with four deals as a general partner. This girl knows how to sell her value to partners and knows how to ask good questions. If you're looking for someone who can help you get your feet wet in the world of multifamily, this is the right person for you. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, I want to share a story in a charity that is very close to my heart. Seven years ago, we lost Ryan, my seven-year-old nephew, in a boating incident. A few weeks ago, my brother Stefan and Meg, his ex-wife, Ryan's parents, won a record verdict against the boat company involved. It's a huge victory for them as they want boat manufacturers to focus more on safety and hopefully prevent this from happening to another child. In memory of Ryan, they created a charity called Little Hugs, which is focused on giving stuffed animals to children that are in need of comfort. Ryan loved stuffed animals and Ryan loved others. I'm asking you to please support them. You can donate by going to littlehugs.com. If you decide to donate, please make mention that you heard this on the podcast so they know that we as real estate investors care and we give back. I know it will mean the world to Stefan and Meg, Ryan's parents. I thank you in advance from the bottom of my heart. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Sandhya before we start the show. Sandhya lives in the DFW area with her family. She did the corporate thing and then left to become a full-time investor and raise her kids. She started with stocks and then decided to get into real estate investing. Whatever she's involved in, she makes sure she gets educated and surrounds herself with best-in-class people. This girl knows how to network, knows how to sell her value, and knows how to ask great questions. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Sandhya Sashadri with us. Sandhya, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Darren. It's such an honor to be here. I've been fascinated by you podcast now for a year and a half. And uh, my first investment in multifamily was with you. So uh, very excited to be here. Fantastic. Yeah. So just a little bit on how we know each other. We're both part of the same uh, multifamily mentorship group, um, met through that group. And, and like Sandy just mentioned, she was, she invested in, in my first syndication deal. And, um, you know, I loved her approach. You know, she, she wasn't, she wasn't like, Hey, just, I'm in. She, she was like, let's get together for lunch. Hey, drive me down to the property. I want to see it. So, you know, she, she was involved and um, she has been learning and getting involved and building relationships. So I'm excited about this conversation. Um, Sandia, typically the first question I ask is how many properties and how many units uh, you're currently invested in? So I am actually invested in over 4,000 doors. And of that, like nearly 3,400 is on the passive side and about 620 or so is on the active side. So about four different deals. 
that I'm an active sponsor on. And uh, continuing to grow that, two to three a year is my max capacity. And that's the plan to be on the active side. And I still continue to invest passively with retirement funds. Fantastic. So um, what was your experience? What was your background prior to getting involved in real estate investing? So I started out by, uh, as far as my degree goes, like most Asian geeks with an engineering degree (laughs) and worked here for a local Fortune 500 company, figured out quickly that too many decisions were made by these marketing types. And I had to figure out how they did that. So I got my MBA and then I went full time into the stock market. Once I had children, I did not want the corporate rat race to dictate my schedule and I wanted to have flexibility. So I would spend a couple of hours a day trading and then the rest of the time was free to spend with my little ones. And that continued for many years. And I came into real estate because I wanted the tax benefits and I also wanted to always have my hands in something real, a hard asset from which I could get rental income. But I was afraid of the four T's, you know, tenants, toilets, trash and termites wanted to totally avoid that. And so I didn't get into single family for that reason. But when I attended a weekend event uh, that talked about multifamily, I was completely hooked. And that's where I met you after joining this program. Fantastic. So um, I, I didn't know, I knew that you were in stock investing, but I didn't realize that you actually quit your your job and went full time in stock investing. So um, you said for many years. So mm-hmm. how many years did you focus on on stock investing? So stocks was full time for about 10 years. 10 so years. So I was already Holy doing cow. it part time, you know, from my days of my MBA and working for a high tech company. I started with the technology sector where I had all the knowledge. But then, you know, having got that education, I was like we were in many investment clubs and things, you know, as friends from my MBA group. And so we would initially start investing just in options because we didn't have a whole lot of cash. And then we went on to, um, you know, trading with the real cash, too. So I love it. I still do it. And you still do it. Yeah, I remember last (laughs) year when COVID hit Mm -hmm. and and then the market started coming back and you were like, Man, I'm I'm investing in multifamily, but this stock thing is is really a good good thing right now. So, um, yeah. but you know, a lot of people that that try to dabble and and go full time in the stock world get burned. You know, the mm-hmm. day the day traders they mm-hmm. do it for a while and then they they kind of peter out. Like they you know they they aren't um, disciplined or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Um, so what was your approach um, to that longevity on the, on the stock side? We'll get back to the real estate side, but on the, on the stock side, how did you keep at it for 10 years? So it's very easy when you're a mom to have to go attend to your kids. So that itself cut the amount of hours I had allowed myself to play with the stock market. Right. And I only stuck in a very conservative way, because, again, when you have children, it's different than we're just, you know, double income with no kids. Okay, then you may play with your money a little more. But once you have kids, you see this. Oh, my gosh, I got to pay for these little beings. I've got into this world for the next two decades or more. So you're more careful. So I think that itself makes you more cautious. And the hours are dictated basically around my children's schedule. I became a mom first and then second everything else. So those two things helped. But in terms of my discipline, it's just like when I play blackjack tables, for that matter. I have my set of rules and I stick to them, just like with multifamily. So with stocks, one of my rules is once I reach a certain gain, whether that's I want to make 20% or 30% or 40%, et cetera, whatever my target is for that stock, I set my limit price to sell it right away at my brokerage. So the minute I buy it and I get that notification that this transaction has happened, I turn around and I set my limit price as for selling it. So I don't care that, oh, it's short-term gains, long-term gains, et cetera. It's like, I care whether I'm going to make money or lose money on the stock. Sure. So with that same discipline, I set my sale prices right away. So whether I'm busy with my kids or on vacation or attending to something else, they get automatically sold. So I'm not waiting to be more greedy saying, oh, it's going to go up some more. It's going to go up some more. I'm going to lose. No, I'm not going to lose. I'm taking advantage of this rise and this is plenty for me. It's like saying I have set a ceiling and that ceiling is plenty for me. Sure. So you said conservative. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how are you conservative in the stock market? So conservative with anything starts with education. So you don't just get educated 
on how to analyze a stock, you actually get to know the stock. Just like in real estate, we say, get to know the sponsor. Like I had to meet you in person. I had to drive to the property for me to feel comfortable investing with you. It's the same thing with a stock. I don't just invest in a stock because somebody gave me a stock tip or look lies on a chart. You know, I invested because I looked at the company. I researched what its products were. I also tried to see if it was a bargain, right? I look at a 52 week performance of that stock and I say, is it a low price now compared to where it was in the last 52 weeks? Uh, why should I buy this stock? What is its growth trend? Like if you look at COVID or if you look at aging baby boomers or you look at millennials, right? Whatever is the trend you're focusing on, why is this stock or this company going to do any better with this trend? Right. How are they capitalizing on that trend? How is the competition for that? So I go into the analysis of actually knowing what I'm going to get into in addition to the numbers analysis that it tells you, you know, whether it's a price to earnings ratio or whatever else. I also look at, are there any major changes in terms of the heads of these companies, like CEO changes and things like that. That's going to change the direction. Yeah. So, uh, it's so, all about education. The more education, the less the risk. Yeah, that's, that's very smart. So you mentioned bargain. Mm -hmm. How do you know if a stock is a bargain? So 52 week lows, right? You look at a 52 week performance and you look at what is an undervalued stock there versus just like, you know, it's hard to predict when you're betting on something like a Tesla. But if you look at your Apple, you can catch its waves, right? Apple goes in waves around Christmas season. Uh, analysts are expecting a certain amount in earnings every quarter or every year. And so you can kind of look at that stock and say, oh, are they going to meet that price? And so that's more of a growth stock. Versus Walmart or a Target, solid companies, right? They're not going anywhere. They're going to be around in two, three, five years. You look at them and you look at a 52-week low of one of those stocks and you say, whenever it hits that low, go buy it for me, right? And you What tell about valuation? Trader, yeah. What about valuation versus just the stock price? Does that play into it? I mainly look for the 52 week lows of the stock. And then I look at the future growth trends and what is the big, like is Amazon coming and taking over and obliterating all the competition right. or is my Walmart or target or my little company able to compete because they have something to differentiate. Fantastic. So I, I don't want to spend all the time on the stocks, but I did want to <laughs> delve in there a little bit because, you know, mm -hmm. look, it's, it's part of where you started your investing world, you mm -hmm. know, and, and, um, you know, in the, in the group that we're in, you know, in the real estate space, you hear a lot about, you know, getting out of the rat race and, you know, you know, quit your W2 job and go full-time real estate professional. And, and, um, you know, that could be a new concept for a lot of people, but you did that with, with investing already on stocks. And then you came into the real estate world and I was going to ask you what were, what were some of the reasons why you, you kind of shifted over. Um, but you talked about some of them, one being, mm -hmm. you know, it being a hard asset mm -hmm. two being cash flow, and three being tax benefits. So um, what percentage would you say you've shifted from stock investing over into real estate investing? And talk a little bit more about some of those benefits. So for me, I started with the passive investing side with my retirement funds into real estate because, again, it was a new venture. It was not something I knew much about. I had to get the knowledge. So I used money that I wasn't counting on in my immediate future to get started in the real estate space. That's why I invested in your deal with my retirement money, right? So that's a great way for people to get started. Now, when I started realizing that my... my um, Accountant also told me that first year when I was starting with you, it was towards the end of the year. It was like November, December timeframe. So I sure. wasn't going to qualify as a real estate professional for that year. So it didn't make sense for me to worry about the tax savings for that calendar year. But then from the next year, he said, yes, I would qualify. And so to start using more of what I call my real money uh, to do that. So you're uh, after so tax that, funds, right? So that yeah. was also one of the decision makers. In terms of if you want to get tax advantages as a real estate professional, you got to use after-tax money for it. Otherwise, your retirement money doesn't really help you with it. But the retirement money ties in very well with real estate in the sense that it's long-term. So you're not counting on it right away. And remember, real estate is a hard asset and it's illiquid. So unlike stocks that I could just cash tomorrow if I needed money urgently for something, I couldn't right. do that with real estate. So those were the things that made sense for passive investing using my retirement funds. 
And then when I started, you know, signing other people's loan as a key principal or become a co-sponsor and then a general partner, you're required to use your own regular after-tax money for that. You cannot use your retirement money for that. So that's the blend I took into place. But as far as my stock portfolio, I allocated, let's say, about a little bit less than 2 million for my real estate ventures. And I've set that aside and everything else is in stock. So now if the real estate multiplies itself, it can continue to keep feeding that real estate bucket. Gotcha. And gotcha. same way if a stock multiplies, it can keep feeding the stock bucket. But those two were allocated separately. And it's like, here, go, I give you a chance, you know, go real estate and go stocks <laughs> and you get to stay there. You don't get to mingle. Okay, commingle that, funds from one bucket great. into the other. So that's kind of where it is. It's like so, now you got to go on multiplying. There's no more new money coming to you. That's that's funny. So um, talk about you know some listeners totally understand how to invest with retirement funds, and some other listeners are like, how do you do that? You know. So talk about you know how do you do that, and were you scared to do that at the time? It was your first investment. I think for me, my fearlessness comes uh, from, you know, becoming a coming to this country as an immigrant with two suitcases in hand, parents who made 60 US dollars a month in salary, and then coming here from nothing and making it so-called to the American dream, which is, you know, a house in suburbia with a you know family and two kids and fairly new cars kind of thing. So I'm not afraid to go back to an apartment day. So when you lose that fear of, oh, all my money is going to be gone and I'm not going to have the status of being a suburbia mom, it's fine. I'm pretty cool to start over. So when you lose that fear, you're not as concerned about, oh, all this money I earned is going to be gone. Well, I didn't have much to start with. I can easily start from scratch and do it again. Yeah, you you are right. you. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't change you as a person. It's just a mm-hmm. number in the, in the bank account. I mean, it definitely helps you know, do things in life, but mm-hmm. um, you have built all that knowledge that you could go out mm-hmm. and make more. Yeah. And if you'll just step out of your front door, at least in Texas where I am, and you see these beautiful parks and trees and streets, that's all free amenities to everyone and things that I didn't grow up seeing as much in India. It's like, oh my gosh, the best thing in life are truly free. So when you don't have that fear, it allows you to go in there and, you know, it's retirement money. Technically, you're not supposed to withdraw your retirement money till you're 65 plus. Okay, that's so far away. I'm not worried about it. Darren's going to buy this property. He's going to sell it in five years. Okay, maybe it takes him a year longer. He's going to sell it in six years. I know the property is going to hold its value. It's a great location. So I did not have the fears that, oh my gosh, here I am handing, you know, $50,000 to Darren. No, I have a lot of confidence. He's been through the same program. He's got the education. This is a real property. I have confidence in Texas market. So, you know, real estate isn't going anywhere. The property is going to stay put. It's going to be a, fine. a procedural standpoint, I mean, you, you basically, I, don't, I think that I didn't know this before getting into the group. And, mm-hmm. and I've done the same thing. I've invested, mm-hmm. you know, passively with after-tax money and also with, with retirement money. But some people don't know that you can, it's basically just a transfer from, mm-hmm. you know, whether you use Vanguard or Fidelity or whoever, Right. You, you use for your your um, your IRA, just transfer money from there to an, another custodian yep. that that is a you know focuses on self directed IRAs or solo four hundred one ks or or a um, what what did you get uh, EQRP, EQRP some EQRP. kind EQRP. of a yeah. branded solo for the main point of uh, of that is that you can basically take retirement money out of a previous employer's retirement plan account, roll it over into another qualified retirement plan, whether that's a self-directed IRA, solo 401k, as Darren, you just said, and then use that money to invest in real estate instead of saying the only allowance you have is these four or five plans that your employer restricts you to. Because now if you're no longer with that employer, you can take that money out and put it into real estate, uh, such as the multifamily syndication that I did with you. Yeah. And I don't think that, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize they can do it. And when somebody may tell them it just sounds complex, like, and it's, it's really not like if you leave a company and you have a 401k, you have to roll that in typically. I mean, I guess some companies will let you keep it, but most times the employer will, I mean, the employee, when they leave, they'll roll it into an IRA. 
And this is no different. You just roll it from one IRA into another retirement vehicle, and then you can invest in real estate. Um, yes. And and so from my standpoint, I you know I pulled money out of the stock market also, and um, you know what I think is crazy is, and I wish I had done this, a, you know, much sooner, is that you realize that you know, on these multifamily properties, you're getting leverage of 70 to 80%. Mm-hmm. But all of the appreciation goes to the equity owners. Mm-hmm. So the property doesn't have to double in price. You know, That's if you right. buy a stock, you mm-hmm. know, you buy Amazon stock at, I don't know what it's at now, 3,000, you know, mm-hmm. it has to go to 6,000, you know, for you to you double your money. But in real estate, you, it's not like that because- mm-hmm. You have you pay the loan back, and then all the gains go back to the equity owners. Um, so that that's huge. Um, talk about the tax benefits you've seen since you know the next year when you went full time real estate professional. How did that impact you um, having the additional tax benefits? So that's a huge benefit of investing in multifamily when you're a qualified real estate professional. Of course, you can look at the rules on the IRS, but in my case, without another full-time job, all I had to do was show 750 hours of activity uh, doing active management of uh, properties. And with that, all your passive losses can offset the passive gains anyway. But in this case, I could even use it to offset my husband's W-2 income if I you know, managed to cross the threshold of all my passive gains being offset. So this is huge in being able to defer the taxes for a few more years. That's, that's massive. I've seen some people in the group that, mm-hmm. um, you know, one, one spouse is getting all this depreciation because they're actively involved in these real estate deals. And the other spouse, you know, is a W-2 employee, a C-level mm-hmm. person or a business owner, and they have, you know, massive tax consequences. But now that they're getting the depreciation, you combine, you know, both the husband and the wife, and now you have all this loss from the depreciation to offset that income. And yeah, you get to defer it. And possibly, you know, if you keep on buying investments, you could just keep kicking that can down the road. Yep. And and taxes, mm-hmm. you know, my grandfather told me this a long time ago, and I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. listen to him. Um, I guess I was the youth, you know, um, mm-hmm. but- He's like, look, taxes is going to be your biggest expense. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at some of the tax returns and some of the checks I, I wrote to the government, I was like, holy cow. You know, mm-hmm. part of me was like thankful that mm-hmm. I had the capability to write that check. But now when I look back on it, I'm like, holy cow, if I could have had some losses to offset that and then continue to use that capital to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been a completely different picture. So, um, yeah. And one thing I want to point out in that whole tax and cost segregation study is there is this Trump tax law that gives us all the bonus depreciation to be able to take 100% of it in year one itself. And that's active here in 2021 as well as 2022. It starts phasing out in 2023. So I think if anyone is on the fence about real estate, these are the two years to actually take some action and start investing because um, those benefits are too big to ignore at this time. That, yeah, that's that's huge. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it will start to sunset and, mm-hmm. and the, the reduction will, will happen year over year. And, and this year and next year are... Hundred percent, and so you know, if somebody invests a hundred thousand dollars into a deal, they may get anywhere from fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollar loss in year mm-hmm. one. Yeah, uh, based on having that. Um, and it's funny because I just had lunch with somebody at a, at a golf club last week, and he's in the real estate world, residential, but he's been in real estate for a long, long time, and he's like, you know, I didn't know that this cost segregation thing was even you know, around and I could take advantage of it until, you know, this, this past year. And, and now, and this is somebody that's in the industry, you know, it's just not in multifamily, but in, in, so now he's actively out there looking for multifamily deals so he can get yeah. the, the depreciation to offset his income. So 
Um, it's, it's massive. And it comes back to what you said earlier, education, mm-hmm. you know? So when you were stocks, then what was your philosophy on getting educated in, in real estate? Why did you join a mentorship group? I wanted to accelerate my path because if I try something and I don't see results quickly enough, I might get dejected and not continue. And by joining a mentoring group, it's like a membership to a country club. You have this clustered pool of people with the same mindset and goals as you already speaking the same language. And so you can get there faster by, you know, like my connection to Darren, if I ever wanted to buy a property in his area, or maybe he's going to sell his deal one day and I'm going to be ready for it because I have its history. That network is priceless. It's going to save you thousands of dollars. Even one 30 minute conversation with someone with knowledge like that is going to just help you climb that so much faster. And I know that every deal I got awarded so far that I've been doing so well is strictly from my connections within this group. That's, that's huge. You said so many good things there. Holy cow. So one, accelerate your path. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that, look, you know, I have people reach out to me on Instagram and, and have sidebar conversations all day long. And, and some are reluctant to pay to join a group. And I'm like, you can absolutely do it without it. And I, when I look back, I think to myself, I'm like, what would my path have been like had I done it on my own? And you know, if I had the same persistence and determination, I think I could have done it, but it would have taken me a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I probably would have bought a smaller deal because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had access to as much capital mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have had the confidence. I mean, there's a big mm-hmm. confidence booster when you start seeing all these other people and you get to know them mm-hmm. and they're buying 100 unit, 200 unit, 300 unit deals. And you're like, these are just normal people like they're, mm-hmm. you know, but you and you get to have access to them, proximity to them. And so that helps you to have that little shift in mindset to be able to go bigger and have the confidence to do that because you surrounded yourself with the, with that network. Mm-hmm. And access to coaches was priceless. So every deal that I decided to underwrite was reviewed by multiple people with experience in my local market and who could get down to the, all the details and say, no, you can't get that rent bump with that kind of a product. Or how much are you gonna spend per door? What about your deferred maintenance? You know, They asked me all the questions that I need to be ready with answers. So that itself made me a better um, underwriter so that when I went into deals, a lot of times, like the four deals that I'm involved in, the underwriting numbers to the reality isn't too far off because the coaches who helped me And the mentors who guided me, they had actual hands-on practical knowledge there. So the reality didn't quite bite as much as it could have had I gone into it blind. And, you know, I came from zero real estate background. So I needed this program to help me figure things out quickly and show results. That's huge. So you talk about uh, four deals that you're in as a general partner. Um, Talk about, you know, let's just go through the first one. How'd How'd you get into that deal? And, you know, what was your role in the deal? So my first deal was with two other experienced partners that I wouldn't have met had I not been in this group. So that was a big one. The first deal, it was 86 doors. And it's actually not far from your first deal, Darren. So my first deal, 86 doors, is in Cleveland. Right. It it resold. Has it closed yet or is it in contract? It's it's on a contract to be sold. It's going to sell next month for sure. Um, And it's bought by another team of people from within the same network. So again... (laughs) The connections and the network really helps. But this deal was listed by a popular broker, Marcus and Millichap. So everyone saw it, everyone underwrote it. And my partners, uh, my future partners actually also underwrote it. And I went after them and I said, here, you need to take me on. I've also done my own independent underwriting research, this market, et cetera. And guess what? Both of you are out of state. So I can be available to you to go and help in any way that you need without you having to make these trips. I can go be there when a vendor shows up. I can go inside every room. I can check with the new you know, management company that this was their first deal in the Dallas area too. They had experience with deals in their neighborhoods in Minnesota, et cetera. But this is the first time they were getting into Texas. And so uh, me being boots on the ground was also able to help them in the sense of 
extra pair of eyes and ears. And I was eager to learn the business. So I want to, uh, you know, learn about asset management, KPIs, weekly property management calls, uh, investor relations, monthly newsletters, all of that stuff for which I had no practical knowledge. I was able to learn from my partners who had the experience. So uh, to me, it was the best thing ever. Uh, hats, being off, able hat, to, yeah. hats off to you because look, so in that role, you're, you're a co-sponsor, um, you know, you probably don't get as big a share, uh, as if, if you got the deal under contract yourself. Um, but you, I was going to ask you, how'd you even convince them to take you on? But you, you already went into it. Like, look, mm-hmm. they're, they're from out of state. They're mm-hmm. buying their first deal in state, your mm-hmm. boots on the ground. And then in exchange, you get all that learning knowledge. Mm-hmm. So it's a win-win. And that's what some people I think don't understand is like, why would people want to partner with me? And you have to be creative sometimes to think Mm -hmm. about what value do you bring Mm -hmm. versus, you know, the other side of the equation. And if you can make it a win-win, which you Mm -hmm. did, Mm -hmm. then it benefits everybody. I think you have to consider this as your internship phase when you do your first deal. And the reason I wanted to partner with experienced people on my first round instead of on my own is because I had never done real estate before this. And when you consider other people's money, this is the money that people have saved up for years from their W-2 jobs. They're hoping to pay for their kids' college and you know their retirement, et cetera, with it. You have to take that seriously. You can't be flippant about it. People are investing 40, 50, $100,000 with you that takes them a while to earn that money. You got to treat it with the same respect, you know, that you would treat your own money of that that amount of money. Like my first job, my salary was like $36,000. So I probably saved, you know, barely 3,000 in my retirement account that first year. It takes a while to build that up to $50,000. So treat it with respect. You know, I see so many people of all ages going into their first deal saying, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to get this done. I'm like, you don't know what you don't know. It's not a fear. It's a respect for other people's money, being responsible for your passive investor's money, doing your due diligence. And so even if you have the book knowledge, which is what I had from the mentoring program, where is your practical knowledge, right? If you're going to do your first brain surgery, would you not want the experienced surgeon in the room at that time? Same concept. My first deal, I wanted to learn every step of the way. The money isn't as important as doing it right, learning it right, and establishing that credibility with investors so they keep coming back to you. That's way more important. Absol- absolutely. Yeah. And so then your name gets attached to that mm-hmm. deal and people mm-hmm. are like, oh, you're you're part of that deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, so now talk about how did you get into the second deal? The second deal was uh, actually brought to me by some folks within the group because First, they were only looking for someone to sign a loan as a KP. And I said, well, I've already sponsored my first deal. I want to do a deal where I'm also a general partner. I'm not looking to just sign loans and have no say in how the deal is run because I know what risk that carries with it. And then I was able to talk to them and I say, this is how I can add value. Again, two of the sponsors who brought it to me were both out of state. One was in the Northeast in Boston and the other was in the Carolina. So I'm like, you need a Dallas person who totally <laughs> knows how to handle a 60s property. This property is just like this other property I have done. So again, that was an easy match. And, you know, we're now about eight months into owning that property. And we're already like within $2,000 of our target NOI. So I think we're going to do a quick spin on it. It's going to go for sale in 2022. So if Holy anyone's cow. listening, <laughs> yeah, fan, we're going to do a less than a 24-month cycle on that too. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm skipping the third one and I'm going to go to the fourth one because mm-hmm. the fourth one is one mm-hmm. that my, you know, one, I was invested with in, in Tom's deal in Oasis. Ah. Um, so when Fantastic. You, and you guys ended up buying us out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he, talk about a few things. One, you know, th- that's a deal where you guys actually you and your partners underwrote the deal and and got the deal awarded to you. It wasn't, Hey, I'll I'll be boots on the ground and I'll learn. Mm -hmm. Um, So talk about that. But also one of the things that I think that I know I had an issue with um, when I first came in the group and I think that people outside the group and don't really understand it is like, okay, how can somebody 
a new group in the same multifamily mentorship group be buying out the another group and still think they're going to make money. And it took me a little while before I understood that. So talk through that process. It's now a different market than what they bought it for three years ago. 2021 is a different year and a new year compared to 2018. Cap rates have compressed. People see value in different things. So I purchased this property in July 2020, and now we're in September, but I actually made the offer, et cetera, back in May, right? So May through September, I can tell you in four months how much the Dallas market has changed again. So what I prayed for this price for this property in the range of 120s per door for a class B in such a great submarket called Hearst is now considered a bargain. People are paying way more per door for a class C, even in a secondary market. So there is still so much value left. The, the process started for me actually over a year prior to that because I had looked at properties within a one mile radius, at least half a dozen other properties, within a one mile radius of this property, Oasis, in the past 12 months. I could tell you the interiors of every one of these six properties I had personally toured and comped. The other thing I do is a very in-depth comp study. When I like a property and I, I go after it in all, you know, all guns blazing, if you will, I take a day and all I do is I go visit every comp personally. I sit in the leasing offices of these comps. I give them Starbucks gift cards and I find out everything I can and I ask them to show me interiors. So right there, I know what my competition, so to speak, in terms of what's a new resident looking to stay in, in my subject property versus all these other properties. So where is the competitive advantage? So we could find several million dollars worth of value still left in Oasis Springs when we underwrote it. So yeah. the brokers give you a whisper price, but we know that this particular brokerage kind of lists their whisper price quite a bit below what it could really go for. So I already knew my target price has to be at least a million above that to even be competitive. So I, I kind of already had a lot of advantage over others bidding on this pro property of a very thorough knowledge of that submarket. Also, my property management team, who's done a phenomenal job on my other properties, they are actually, they live, like my vice president lives within a mile of this property. Oh, so like very cool. Mid-cities is something they know in and out. They could tell me every little thing, how many times the name has changed on these properties, that level of detail. So the minute, you know, we already had this zip code in our mind saying, if a property comes up here and fits this little box, we're going to go after it, all guns blazing. So I think that was the biggest thing is I knew so much about it. Like I said, the more knowledge you have, the more educated you get, the more you know. Like I could tell you probably even more than some of the other brokers listing the property in some cases. That's, right, so. that, you, you brought up so many great things there. So one, mm -hmm. um, just even the brokers, like, mm -hmm. like you, some brokers, they come out with whisper prices that are really low and they mm -hmm. always trades above, mm -hmm. you know? So yep. knowing their past history and where you need to be, mm -hmm. you know, before you dedicate a ton of time going after that deal, that's yep. very important. Other brokers, they shoot for the stars, man. They mm -hmm. they yep. set the whisper price so high and nobody could ever get there. That's but, right. You know, knowing that, mm -hmm. you know, was a big advantage to you. Secondly, comps. So mm -hmm. knowing what other thing other properties in the area trade for mm -hmm. gives you confidence to go there. Mm -hmm. You know, and it it you know, you have information that other Buyers may not know, and and definitely a lot of passives don't know. So mm -hmm. um, that's that's huge. Visiting the properties and seeing what your competition is, mm -hmm. you know, the comps. Actually going and looking at the, mm -hmm. the grounds of other, you know, look, if I'm a renter, I have a choice. I could mm -hmm. either rent here or I could rent down the street. Mm -hmm. And when you go and you visit enough of those properties, it gives you confidence that, you know what? If we own this thing, we can take the rents up to this level. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. So on comps, I'll share my experience and I want to hear yours. Um, you know, when I first started to walk in and do comps, like I was like, oh, what, are the, what am I going to say? What are the other, you know, what, what are the leasing managers going to, you know, uh, tell me? And is it going to be tough? 
And I found that 99.9%, I walk in, I just say I'm part of an investor group looking in the area. Um, I, I know some people that go in and say, pretend that they're a renter. Um, but 99 times out of 100, the leasing manager's like, sit down, what do you want to know? Yep. Like, and they're, they're just an open book. I, yep, they know, are. It, they love so you the found brand. the same thing. That's what I do. That's why I said I give Starbucks gift cards. I thank them at the end and I give them, you know, a nice $10 gift card. But when I walk in, they love to brag about what they've done with the property. So that's one of the biggest pieces of the conversation is what is so cool about this property? I want to copy some of your great ideas. And they're very happy to tell you all about it. Then you say, okay, what are tenants really complaining about? What's your biggest problem? If I give you $100,000, what would you fix in this property, right? What would tenants really appreciate? And then some of them will say, oh, put some washer dryer connections in the units. They really want that all these young families don't want to go to a common laundry. Or they'll specifically say, um, I really think this barbecue area, all this grill, everything is broken, but improve the landscape here, make it a nice picnic area. They'll give you specific suggestions. The other thing I do is beforehand, I look up in Yelp, what are the biggest complaints from people? Because they go, you know, online, you read reviews of these apartments, you already kind of know, oh, there's a pattern here. Everyone is complaining of AC leaks or everyone is complaining of plumbing issues or whatever it is, right? Or they're just complaining of the rude staff. So I look at all of that. I already have that information before I go visit a comp. I kind of just look through that. And so in my conversations, I try to bring that up gently and see if they acknowledge the problem. And then they start talking about it. So that's another great way for you to know what are things to address and what can be your competitive advantage or a good idea you can bring into your subject property when you take over. That is smart. Mm -hmm. That is smart. You do a lot of homework before you, you even yep. go out there, which is, which is fantastic. Right. And, um, you know, helped you win the deal. And also, you know, I, I have to believe that that plays into how you are able to get into some of these partnerships is yep. that, you know, people know your work ethic mm -hmm. and that you, you know, you're buttoned down that you, mm -hmm. you know, you, you turn up, you know, mm -hmm. up the stones and, and try to figure out all the Avenue and do a lot of the homework that mm -hmm. can help the group um, going yep. forward. One little box I focus on. So, you know, you might see 20 listings in Dallas today and I can screen them and I can say maybe one would fit my criteria. So I spend this level of detail only on one property, not on all properties. And literally comp shopping might take you half a day, maybe a day max. If you comp up, you look at about eight to 10 properties, that's it. That's not a lot of time when you think about the size of this investment and how much that one comp shopping knowledge can help you in your business plan for this property, for your subject property you're going after. So that when you finally do the tour with the broker in those brief 20 minutes, you already have a very specific list of questions to, and what you want to see so that you know what's going to work and not work. So you make the most of that brief 20 minutes you get with a broker. Yeah, that's huge. I think it also gives you a lot of confidence mm -hmm. in, you know, you, okay, you underwrite numbers from mm -hmm. looking at OMs and looking at apartments.com and looking at, yeah. you know, different uh, documents, but actually going in and hearing stories from other mm -hmm. properties around, mm -hmm. um, you know, you just, they just talk like, they're, mm -hmm. they're like, holy cow, you know, it seems like we're raising rents every three months, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, um, you know, we have so many people coming in and applying. We just don't have enough units. Like those, exactly. you hear all these comments and you're like, holy cow, that gives me so much more confidence to, mm -hmm. you know, put, put a number on this deal. So yep. another thing you didn't mention, but I think is very important is that, you know, when one group in, in say our same multifamily mentorship group is buying out another group, well, the original group, you know, Tom's group, and I was, I was a passive in that and I was a KP in that deal. Um, you know, we had a certain business plan and we had a mm -hmm. certain CapEx budget. That's right. But, you know, once we spend that CapEx, you know, we can't really take it to the next level because mm -hmm. we don't have you know, several million dollars sitting in, in the bank ready where a new group comes in and they're like, holy cow, like you said, it's a different market in 2021 and maybe tenants are looking for, you know, certain upgrades and you guys can go and do that because mm -hmm. you bring in fresh capital so you mm -hmm. can take it to the next level. And that was the piece that kind of I, um, 
it took me a little while to kind of mm-hmm. figure out and yes. and understand and get comfortable with because I kind of yes. always I looked at it as a valuation almost when we're going back to the stocks, you know, like all right, well, if they bought it here and mm-hmm. and now it's valued, you know, north of that, then like, am I the sucker for buying it? Well, no, mm-hmm. because they can't do any any additional mm-hmm. uh, upgrades. So yeah. it's like in their case, you know, they implemented the business plan. They got the revenue and NOI up to what they needed. So now they're ready to sell. Just like with Northridge Court and Cleburne that we listed for sale. It's like we implemented our business plan fully. Right now, the returns far exceed what we initially projected to investors. Like we told them in five years, you'll get maybe 70, 75% return. Instead, it's two years and they'll get 100% return, right? It's like, how much more do you want to wait and be greedy for, right? Versus now you return this, your investors are going to love you and want to come back to you. And you're returning the money to them within the time window that you committed and exceeding the initial projection. So that's what you wanna do is each time is once your business plan is implemented, you've reached your target numbers, it's time to sell. So just like with stocks, you gotta know when to sell. You can't be holding on to it saying, oh, I made this much money. Well, you don't make money on a stock until you sell it. <laughs> Remember that. Same with a house, you know? Yeah, my house value went up, great, but you're living in it. Unless you sell it, you're not getting the cash for it. Right. So, Ex- new exactly. influx of cash. And the other thing is, if I have an older 60s property and I've used up all my CapEx, there could be new snowvid, which is, you know, like the snowstorm we had in Texas earlier this year. And other things could crop up that lead to deferred maintenance expenses. So if you don't have much cash left, uh, that's not a good problem to have. And yeah. that's why I always say when you run out of large amounts of cash, it's time to, you know, turn over this property to a new group who's going to bring in the cash to take care of it and take it to the next level. Hey, we didn't delve into this that much earlier, but I want to just ask you a few questions. So you, you came from India. Mm -hmm. When, when when did did you come here to study? Um, Yes. Okay. So, so you came here um, in undergrad, undergrad university. Yeah. I went to SMU for my electrical engineering. Okay. And then I got a job right away from there, graduated from there, went into Texas Instruments. And then um, realized I needed a business degree. I just didn't have that background or knowledge. So while working full-time, I went to evening and weekend classes uh, to get my MBA and then went on to, from a very technical role of failure analysis and test engineering, I moved to a marketing and business development role, which tied well with my MBA. And then that's when I did trade shows and all of those kind of fun things of the marketing and business side at TI. And then eventually I took over a business unit and uh, did programs of $80 million and up. So the combination of that technical knowledge and the business knowledge uh, made it a very nice uh, use of all of my knowledge and skills to go run businesses until, you know, children came and they became a bigger priority. And there were more and more demands on international travel, you know, Taiwan, Israel, you know, the island of Kyushu in Japan and Germany and places like that. Well, does it's not as conducive to raising kids if you want to spend a lot of time with your kids, which I'm saying that either way is okay. But at that time, I felt like I was missing out on those early years with my kiddos. So Fantastic. that's when I made the transition to full-time stock market because, you know, cost of living in Dallas is not that expensive. I already worked a few years. My husband had a job. It's, you know, the matter of, okay, do I really need to be driving a fancy new Mercedes every two years? No. You know, an old 60-year-old Toyota is plenty for me kind of attitude, you know. So the best things in life are free. Again, I say, you know, parks, rec centers, and places are beautiful here. Fantastic. Um, so. so I love that you ended up um, getting, I didn't realize you got both the engineering and kind of the marketing. I mean, like you, oh, yeah. you've got a very well-rounded uh, mm-hmm. business background and then, now you've applied that to uh, your real estate investing. So talk about some of, um, you know, what are some of your habits that you think help you, you know, do you have any morning rituals or um, books that you read or podcasts you listen to or anything that like you do on a normal basis that helps you become successful? I've been trying to adopt my own version of the miracle morning So I make sure I read every day, but it's not necessarily at 5 a.m. Some days it's 4 a.m. and some days it's 8 a.m. 
but whenever it is, once the kids are sent to school, which now we're in school again, so um, then I read, I try to do a walk, I committed myself to doing 10,000 steps a day. And let's just say I haven't done it seven days a week, but I'm certainly trying and making sure. improvements, but putting a time block on that. So focusing on my health is probably my biggest weakness that I'm trying to improve on. So now instead of signing up with people to go to happy hours or lunches, I'm saying, can we do a walk instead? So I'm, and I'm staying in touch more with my healthy friends to get their healthy habits into me. So trying to have fewer of meal and drink based dates rather than you know, <laughs> the more healthy walks and talk kind of things. So that, yes, great. on my walks, I listen to a podcast. And then I've also told myself phone is another weakness. I'm pretty addicted to my phone. So I don't get to touch my phone till I do at least 15 minutes of stretching or something in the morning and 15 minutes of reading. So that's a discipline I've tried to get into. Very cool. So reading is something that um, I think is huge for, mm -hmm. for anybody. And, you know, I've got kids that are you know, older, like 20. My mm -hmm. son's turning 21 tomorrow. He's a junior in college. Daughter just graduated high school, um, 19. And, you know, all their life going through school, they're told what they have to read. Mm -hmm. They're told what they have to learn, mm -hmm. you know, but as adults, you know, we have the ability to say, hey, we're interested in this area, you know, whether it be health or multifamily or stock investing, whatever it is. Um, and you can actually go out and find books to learn yep. more about that subject area. And that's why I try to tell my kids, I'm like, reading is actually fantastic when you get to choose what you want to read and what you want to learn. Yep. That's a lot. So one of my favorite books is uh, Atomic Habits because I've kind of been practicing that anyway, but making an incremental change, positive incremental change each day amounts to something huge if you keep adding that up to six months to a year, right? Like when I started out in real estate with you and I met you for the first time years ago, I knew nothing, right? I was such a blank page when it came to multifamily. I'd barely started studying the modules. But now today I could talk so about so many different topics. That's just from making it a habit. I have to learn something each day. And so that persistence, that sticking to that goal of saying, okay, now that I know something, I actually know how little I know. So I got well, so much I, left to learn, I, right? So much left to learn, but you know a lot. Like you're yeah. a go-getter. Like <laughs> I, I see you, I, I, like I see you network. I see you out there and you're always, you know, learning in, in your background, engineering, MBA. I mean, you have that learning kind of background mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're very focused on, um, you know, providing and being a, um, a fiduciary for your investors. Mm -hmm. yes. You know, that's, that's very, very important to you. I see that in, in all your communication. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, that that's very admirable and that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, the weird part about these multifamily deals, and I, I don't know mm -hmm. if your experience is this or not, but you know, I've talked to people that have 30, 40, 50 deals. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, have you lost on any of them? And I get back, no. Like I, they've had deals where maybe they said they were going to get certain cash flow. They didn't get that cash flow. They had deals that maybe, you know, were supposed to sell in five years and they had to hold it seven years. Um, they had deals that, you know, maybe they projected a 70 or 80% return and they, you know, barely got their money back or they got, mm -hmm. you know, but in terms of like actually losing their capital, I've I had one guest actually that came on that said that he lost on his first deal. Um, other than that, I have not heard of anybody losing their original capital. Maybe not meet their projections, but losing the original capital. What's your experience? I have two deals in which I'm invested passively that are going to complete a full cycle and are listed for sale. I could see that in 2020 through COVID, they were doing poorly. And I was one of the few who actually contacted the sponsors and told them what they're doing about it and kind of forced them, twisted their arm gently to list it for sale. Cause I said, the economy is great. You need to get rid of these properties because you're losing money every month with these properties. So I don't know if I'm going to get hundred percent of my principal back. 
But oh, I can you definitely answer you, that question you, in a month's you don't, time. You, you don't know if you're going to. I don't know. And the, neither of the sponsors are able to tell me on these two different deals. One is in Dallas and one is in Houston. And both the sponsors are the most impressive sponsors you'll ever see on social media level of sponsors. They're not nobodies that I took pity on and sure. invested with them. These are people with whom I wanted to forge a connection and relationship to say, right. this is a person I can go to when I'm doing my deal because they know so much and they have so much experience. So I'm going to wait and see how those two deals turn out. <laughs> well, but as I, of I, right now, yeah. I hope that you have good success. <laughs> yeah, like you said, my retirement money and right. uh, I really need my principal back, but I'm and not plus that little real estate them. bucket wants to keep chugging along. Right. That's so, right. Because <laughs> it's not getting any extra. It's not, from get, these studios. It's not getting any more. Yep. Uh, hey, talk about, um, mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, I came into the group and I was thinking, you know, duplex, fourplex, aplex, and then all of a sudden you start meeting all these people that are doing these big deals. Um, you know, what would you say to listeners in terms of, um, you know, mindset and how that has impacted how you invest um, in the real estate world? Mindset is everything. It's what you tell yourself inside your head when you're alone, what you believe in. It's going to manifest. It's going to show itself when you speak to the Darrens of the world, right? So when you walk up to a Darren and you say, hey, Darren, I want you to partner with me. What do you have to offer to Darren, right? Think about that. And along the same lines, you say, hey, Darren, you just won this great deal in Dallas. How did you do it? Every time I underwrite a deal, I'm off by a million dollars. How do you get over that gap? And then maybe Darren's going to give you a few tips, right? So go in there with not, oh, I can't do it. Rather, they say, how did they do it? Let me go spend more time with people who are doing what I want to be doing and ask them these questions because success leaves clues. So let's go follow them and say, like, if I'm, you know, my most recent deal was $19 million. If I want to go do a $30 million, $40 million deal, what does it take? Well, I need to go speak to people who are doing that and ask them and then very honestly write down all the gaps that I have to fill to get to that level and say, how can I fill those gaps? Do I need somebody with a very high net worth to sign my loan? Do I need someone who can raise a lot of capital, has a fabulous podcast, hint, hint, to come and join (laughs) me in a deal so that we can raise that capital, right? What are the gaps for me to go from $19 million deal to $40 million deal, right? So very honestly, look yourself in the mirror and write down, what do I have and what do I need and who's going to help me get there and then go after it. Man, listen to her. Mm-hmm. You know what I love about a lot of the answers that you've you've presented in this conversation is that you focus on asking questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important, you know, is that, it, you know, when you're doing, going doing, you know, comps, you know, the, these are leasing managers that, you know, some of them, you know, may not be making that much money and you're asking, you know, very important questions, but you ask it in a way that they're, it makes it such that, you know, they, they're willing to help you. And, Mm -hmm. um, then when you, you're dealing with a syndicator who has a lot of experience, maybe you you ask different questions, you know, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do I get from $18 million deal to a $40 million deal? Um, but I think that that's something that no matter what you want to do in life, you know, finding people that have already done it, and asking good questions, mm-hmm. I think that those are, are two key things. And it looks like you focus a lot on asking well, good questions. I love that. One other thing I want to tell listeners is don't start chasing every shiny object. Like I'm in the stock market. I know it well. Done it for decades. I started with the education, took small risks, and now I know my little box. Same with real estate. Start slow and steady to what is comfortable to you. I don't care if the person next door is doing, you know, a dozen deals a year. That's too much for me to handle. I want three deals a year total that I'm actively asset managing. So as I sell one, I'm going to buy another one, right? So that's my comfort zone. So same way, don't chase every shiny object because that's going to distract you from your focus. Become an expert at one thing, or at least that's my philosophy. And that's what you will have to offer to other people when you want their expertise on something. Right. Like if I I ever, ever wanted to start a podcast, I'm going to be calling Darren. 
I'm going to be taking him to a nice steak dinner and saying, tell me all about starting a podcast, right? Well, let's I know go have that steak it, dinner. And he's done such a great <laughs> job on it, right? So if I ever thought of doing that, he's the first person I'm going to call. So, you know, just stick to one thing and, you know, be an expert instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go after mobile home parks. I'm going to go after an RV park. I'm going to do self-storage. Uh, you know, I'm going to do ATM machines. Like, okay, I'm going to do multifamily. It's going to be in Dallas, in a neighborhood that I know, in a market that I know. And it's going to be about this size and that's it. And then become the expert at it. I'm glad that you brought up those other, you know, because some people just think of real estate as as this big bucket, Mm -hmm. but really, you know, there's different asset classes within real estate Mm -hmm. and, you know, focusing on one area. It doesn't, you know, we're talking about multifamily, but it could be self-storage. It could be mobile home parks. It could be fix and flip single family, you know, it could be, um, build to rent, um, development, new development. Um, it could be buying land, you know, it, it, whatever it is, get good at it and get surround yourself with other people that are knowledgeable in that area. Um, mm-hmm. that's great, 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 great advice. Um, so for the first time passive investor, okay, this is somebody that this is interesting. I've, got a bunch of money in the stock market and I've been wanting to get into real estate and I didn't realize I could just invest passively in one deal and see how it goes. Um, how, how does somebody get involved and you know, what are some of the things that they should pay attention to? The top three things I would pay attention to as a passive investor is number one, get to know the deal sponsor like Darren, who's also going to manage the asset. It's very important that their, your risk tolerance matches with how they operate their properties, how they underwrite, and therefore the projections. That's very important. The second thing is the market itself. Real estate is still about location, location, and location. You cannot go in there and change the crime data there very quickly. You cannot go in and change the median household income quickly, et cetera. So that location is going to make all the difference. The very best of operators may not do so great if the location sucks. So the operator and the location are very, very important. And the third thing is the deal structure itself, right? So are the returns and cash flow, et cetera, going to fit within your financial budget and goals? And are you okay with not having access to that capital, maybe not getting much cash flow for a while? Because real estate is not liquid like your stock market. Yeah, absolutely. And and you have to be okay with that. Like there's some deals that come, you know, across my computer that, have very strong cash flow um, projections. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, there's somebody, I, I'm invested with with one operator who's, who's not in our group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this individual is very upfront that, hey, you're probably going to see one or 2%, you know, distributions mm-hmm. while you own, you know, the interest. But they have an extremely strong track record of, doubling investors capital in, you know, three, four years, you know? Um, so that's, you know, something that you have to pay attention to and has to align. Um, so I love the three that you brought up sponsor market and deal structure. Um, so what, what's your next big stretch goal? My next big stretch goal is to actually give up control and hire some VAs and people to outsource some of my repetitive tasks so that I can grow and spend my time on the most income generating tasks. Because I see myself doing things that could be either automated or handed off to a VA. And only when I do that, can I free myself up to even consider scaling. And then even five years down the road to some people, it could mean a dollar amount saying, I need to have a hundred million dollar portfolio or whatever that number is, or certain number of doors. For me, it's still three to four properties, except each of those properties are much larger. So that, you know, my Mondays are this property, Tuesdays, this property and Wednesdays, this property. Right. And then I have a couple of bonus days. So that's how I like to do it. It's still three to four properties max but they're just larger, larger deals. Yep. Uh, so on the first thing that you brought up, mm-hmm. you know, give up control. Um, I had Aaron Hudson on the show at one point and, and she said that her 
she was a um, prior, um, I think she was a dentist, um, prior doctor and now full-time real estate professional. And she focused on this book, Who Not How. Mm-hmm. She's like, the minute you start thinking about not how you're going to do it, but who you can get to do that for you. Mm-hmm. And to your point, the, the amount of money that you pay that person is most likely significantly less than the value of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a process. I am you know, offloading some stuff to, to VAs, um, with the podcast, I've offloaded a lot of the technical stuff to, to a consultant group, but, um, it, you know, it's, you still have to spend time up front to coach them and develop, mm-hmm. but then once they get the hang of it, then boom, all of a sudden you're on, it frees you up to move on mm-hmm. to something else, which is awesome. Yep. Um, what do you like to do outside of work? Love travel. The more exotic the destination, the better, because I have this feeling that I'm going to be like really, really old and in this RV driving around the United States. So I'm trying to do all my, you know, I'm going to be living in an RV and that's what I see myself doing. So I want to go visit my Iceland and Kangaroo Island and all these exotic Dubai and all the exotic destinations around the world first before I get to, and then I'll be sitting in cruise ships dining (laughs) That's <laughs> funny. So I just spent uh, three nights in Arkansas at a RV um, mm-hmm. at a at a whatever a state park. Mm-hmm. Um, we rented an Airstream, and it was our first time doing nice. it. And it, but I'm, you know, considering wanting to travel around the U.S. and bop around, and yep. and I have to get my wife, you know, comfortable yeah. with you know the small mm-hmm. <laughs> the small yeah. accommodations and. Um, whether she likes it, but, um, yeah, my yeah, husband rented one funny. and we shipped my son with him and me and my daughter, we spent a day at the gallery instead. So, you know, <laughs> the RV has to be pretty big for me to feel comfortable staying there every day. But you know, I, get, I mean I like get. road trips within the U S Mount Rushmore kind of places. They're on my bucket list, but they're for my sixties travel. Sure. Sure. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Well, um, Sonia, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I love your attitude. I love, um, you know, I got some more insight based on this conversation on how you did it because I, I'm like, man, she's like partnering uh-huh. with this person and that person getting this deal. How'd she do it? Uh-huh. And you, you just, you know, were confident in yourself and you sold, you know, the value that you could bring others. And that's so important. So I appreciate you sharing that with, with me and with the listeners. Um, Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Um, Until next week, we're signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.